we just passed Monday, May 4th, which would have been the Met Gala for 2020. For the first time in its 72-year history, the Met Gala has been postponed indefinitely due to the global pandemic. The theme was about time, fashion, and duration. Vogue did, however, host a virtual Met Gala that was live-streamed on their YouTube channel. Now, it obviously didn't get as much buzz, but viewers were offered a virtual preview of the Met's time-themed exhibition, which is now set to open on October 29th. For this bonus episode of Black in Fashion, I actually partnered with Sarita Espinosa, who's a creator of the fashion platform We Wear Now, which is all about the resilience amongst folks in creative careers. So together, we actually got on a Zoom conference, and you can see the full interview on the Instagram at we.wear.now. And together, we actually critiqued the documentary the first Monday in May, which gives an inside look of the 2015 Met Gala, China Through the Looking Glass. My name is CJ, and welcome to Black in Fashion, a podcast that highlights key Black figures who have impacted the world of fashion as we know it today, as well as those who continue to influence its ever-changing industry. Each episode, we'll profile different people from past to present, as well as conduct interviews and engage in dialogue around race and diversity within the fashion industry. Okay, hi. So I'm here with CJ, the host of Black and Fashion, and also an assistant buyer. I'm really excited to have him because this man has like a wealth of knowledge. It's like ridiculous. I love learning from his podcast. So um, I'm super excited to go over the first Monday in May with you, which is a documentary that came out about the 2015 Met Gala. So just a quick icebreaker question. Like, what was your favorite look from this particular Met Gala? Um, So I looked through all the looks again just to make sure. And hands down, it's it's Rihanna. Like, (laughs) it seems like the obvious cop-out answer. But the reason why it was Rihanna for me, um, one of the entrants she made was gorgeous. And considering the theme and everything else around the documentary and the show, she was the only celebrity to actually wear something by a Chinese designer, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and it was by Guape, um, a Chinese couturier. And I, well, I went to SCAD for grad school, if you can see on my shirt. Yeah. And we actually, um, we did an exhibit for SCAD in our SCAD fashion museum that was all about Guape and that actual cape was in the, in the exhibit. Oh my so it was God. huge. It took two months to make. Very, very heavy, but Rihanna wore it so well. So that was hands down my favorite piece. I mean, I did like other pieces like um, like Gong Li. She wore this really elegant, um, really nice fitting, sort of like velvety dress. Um, and then there were a few like not so great looks, but overall Rihanna was my favorite. I know. I just want to keep it positive. I just <laughs> I don't even want to talk about the looks that were not so great, borderline, <laughs> offen- not even borderline, like offensive. But yeah. <laughs> um. So I would say, like, what is your initial reaction watching the documentary again? Because it is a little dated. Like things move fast in the age of the internet. I can't believe a documentary right. has aged after like four years. But kind of, how do you think? It's like reflective of that time versus now. Like, what are your initial reactions? 
It was very interesting rewatching the documentary, especially watching it from, I guess, a different lens versus like 2015, where I was just coming out of undergrad to sort of now. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really, I thought overall it was very interesting to sort of get a better idea of the curator's inspiration behind everything. I think the documentary really is, well, like Andrew, the curator, but also the documentary was really trying to sell the idea of imagination and wonder when it came to the theme and China through the looking class. But overall, it was fairly controversial. But I also think the documentary did a decent job at not portraying them as the heroes the entire time, you know? So you had the, con- you know, the conversations with the representatives in the press in China. You had a lot of the conversation between the curator for the um, Asian art department. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting to sort of look at the different perspectives of things. Overall, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I think that watching it for me, because I just came out of undergrad, like it was kind of fatiguing, like how many different, like, I don't want to say conflicts going on, but like from a narrative perspective, yeah, conflicts like between like, is fashion art? And like, is this kind of Orientalism? And then also like conversations with like celebrities and like the, like the place of celebrity in like the Met Gala. So I just thought it was really interesting how it was all tied together. And I feel like that was almost done on purpose to make it fatiguing because it is such a huge project. And I'm amazed that like, it's not going to happen this year, but I mean, for obvious (laughs) Another thing that I noticed during the documentary, and this was said by a few people, including Anna Wintour, was how the entire gala sort of merges um, high fashion and celebrity or art and commerce and how the two sort of have to relate. But I'm sure we'll talk, talk about that again a little later, but um, a lot of interesting perspectives throughout the documentary. Yeah. So kind of moving forward, like in your opinion, in your place in the industry, based off of like your education and your job and your hobbies and your interests, like what do you think like the overall purpose of the Met Gala is? Just because I think it means so many different things to different people. So I just would like to get your perspective or your opinion. Um, I definitely agree with you. I think it does mean, I think it serves a lot of different purposes. You know, I think for Vogue, it's great for PR. It's great for Anna Wintour. And it's a fashion event that, you know, we haven't, we don't get a lot of fashion events in the U.S. especially, aside from like maybe the occasional fashion week in New York and L.A. and other places. Um, so this is one of few really big name fashion events that happens in the U.S. Um, I th- also think it's huge for the Met Gala, obviously. It raises a lot of money, so I'm sure it's a great night for donors and everything. I think when you sort of tie the two together overall, it's established itself as sort of a huge cultural event that happens in the U.S. It was not nearly this big years ago. Like even mm-hmm. when Alexander McQueen Savage Beauty came out, this particular Met Gala had more attendees there than Savage Beauty. And then every year it's sort of becoming that main event that a lot of people in and out of fashion are looking forward to. Overall, I think it's sort of merged itself into the cultural landscape of the U.S. 
Yeah, I really think that that's interesting because I can't remember if it was 2007 or 2002 where there was like no theme. Like I was looking through the timeline and it's like, they don't have a theme. So I really think it's interesting how it like popped off as like a cultural, American cultural phenomena, like around the same time, like reality TV started like ramping up. And I thought that's like really, really interesting to look at like how something and like even people from like an American audience perspective don't understand that it's like a fundraiser. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like when I used to work on campus, like people would be like, what even is the Met Gala? And I was like, Oh, it's like a fundraiser, dude. Like you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Technically that's actually the purpose of it. All of it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then I would just kind of say like, how do you feel about the tension that takes place between like the Asian art department and the costume Institute? Just because I feel like it's kind of a representation of diversity and inclusion, not only in the fashion industry, but just in any industry in general. So I just really think it's interesting how like those conversations took place. And I would like to see what you picked up on in that regard. Um, I think I think that conversation was very important to have. Yeah. Um, A huge central conflict throughout the documentary to me was sort of you know, you're, you're taking Western interpretation of Chinese art, Chinese fashion, Chinese culture. The issue with the Asian arts department, you know, hit the curator's big thing. I think his name was Mike Hearn. It's like you want to have the genuine art that comes from China, but you also want to merge European designers' interpretation of, of Chinese culture and you don't want one to outshadow the other. One thing that I did sort of question, though, you know, you didn't want one to outshadow the other. You wanted to show where this inspiration was derived. But I couldn't help but question whether whether Andrew, like the curator for the fashion side of things, was sort of including the Asian art department. Was it really used for, like, justification behind the entire thing? Or was it actually use to sort of show where inspiration derived from. Um, another huge point of conflict throughout the film was, you know, a lot of these designs, majority of which, you know, I looked at the total, I think there are about 35 designers um, represented in the, ga- in the gala. There are, out of 35 designers, only three of, of them were of Asian descent. Majority of them were European designers and then American designers as well. But for a lot of those designers, they got their interpretation or they got their inspiration from film. Or I think John Paul Gaultier was in the film and he even admitted, like, you know, I, I got a lot of my inspiration from what I saw in films about Asia and sort of the mystery about the Far East and everything like that. And so that was an important conflict to have because how do you create an interpretation and call it genuine without having a full understanding of the culture behind it? A lot of, and I mean, this was part of the, you know, what a lot of celebrities wore, but even with some of the designs, a lot of it was sort of based on some stereotyping, some misinterpretations of um, Chinese culture. It was, I feel like the entire thing was, bound to have some controversy from the beginning. But I do think that it was important that, you know, there was that sort of conflict because you want to try to make it, you want to try to get whatever the point is. You want to try to get that across, but you also want to understand what it is you're doing, especially like, you remember the scene where he was speaking with um, the Chinese representatives about having Buddha and Mao in the same gallery? 
Yeah. Like that's a prime example of why it's really important to do the research and to have the background knowledge before putting on such a huge undertaking. Yeah, totally. I kind of relate to when um, the the head of the Asian art department was like, it could blow up at any minute, but I feel like he was constantly repeating himself over and over like, oh, don't let the clothes like overshadow the, mm-hmm. the actual art that was like the inspiration of it, of it to begin with. And I just think that that's really interesting, kind of like to the question of larger um, companies having diversity and inclusion. And it's like, okay, people are sitting at the table or whatever, but are they the people making the decisions? Are mm-hmm. they the people that are making these images that circulate into like the wider culture? And I mm-hmm. just think that that's really interesting that they allowed the audience to kind of see those dynamics and how that really works just because like when you see people like at that large table making a decision and planning like of course you don't see anybody that's diverse even though it is for it is like that inspiration behind like China so I Mm -hmm. thought that was definitely interesting that like we got to see it like because I feel like sometimes in the larger media or even different publications, like if we see something, we're kind of just assuming, but like to actually see it is a little bit different. So I thought right. that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Very important conflict to have. I think conflict's important when it comes to certain things, especially in regards to culture. Yeah. And then um, also kind of backtracking to Rihanna. Mm-hmm. I didn't include this in the questions that I sent you, but I just thought it was amazing how they like argued over her salary. And I'm assuming she got what she wanted. It's like, what do you mean she wants more than Kanye? And I was just like, because <laughs> she wants more than Kanye, that's why. Especially like knowing where Rihanna is now, even versus then, she was already huge then. So yeah. it's like right now, yes, like I'm sure Rihanna, <laughs> like her budget's probably way higher. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting, just kind of like taking the space of like a woman and like a performer and just like being able to like achieve kind of what you wanted. And she was like the most important figure of that Met Gala. She was the cover. And I feel like most people, when they think of the Met Gala, like they think of Rihanna in that yeah. show. So it's Definitely. Like, you guys definitely got what you paid for. Like she deserved that because she made the Met Gala, kind of what it is, in my opinion. (laughs) Fair, definitely fair. Um, And then kind of also moving forward, like what kind of place or what questions of circulating in like the larger culture going on? Like, how do you think, in your opinion, that's going to impact like how the Met Gala is in the future? Just kind of in regards to questions of just being like very like over the top, which is of course the point of it, but just kind of if it's ethical or not, if that's kind of what I'm asking. I think that the Met Gala, and I think it was going on this same sort of theme. Um, I mean, not necessarily with the camp theme, but Mm -hmm. um, it was sort of teetering on the line of controversy for a while, at least with the last two Met Galas between one was focused on Chinese culture. The other was focused on Catholicism and religion. I feel like going forward in the future, it, right now, fashion is sort of on its head anyway, considering like the global pandemic. Um, so it's tough to say where a lot of things will land. I think that 
what the Met Gala tries to do is hone in on something that's culturally significant for whatever reason. And so going forward, who knows, we could see some some inspiration around like post-apocalyptic fashion and because a lot of people are already making jokes like, oh my God, we're in the apocalypse, like a bit much, but um, you, we might see something like that. Um, truthfully, I think it'll be interesting to see where the Met Gala goes post-COVID, especially when you think about, like fashion has already been on its head for a while. Saint Laurent announced a few days ago that yeah. they're no longer participating in the fashion calendar. And so that's a huge thing. Tom Ford showed his collection outside of Fashion Week in Hollywood. So I think that a change was sort of inevitable. It's just going to be interesting to see how the Met Gala reacts to that change in fashion. Yeah, I think that that's like a really interesting question, kind of just like moving forward with questions of sustainability and other things like that. Like what does sustainability mean to like those top designers who are designing for the Met Gala and whose like looks are being shown? So I do think that that's really interesting how they're going to do that moving forward. And then I also think it's ironic how like the theme this year was supposed to be time, like fashion over time. And it's like, dude, the clock has stopped. Like, yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. so I think that that's like pretty interesting to see how things are going to move forward. I would have been excited to see that theme come into fruition. Like, truthfully, I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised if they, I mean, they probably wouldn't try to redo it next year. But I mean, even if they did, it'd be interesting to see how that's interpreted. You can catch the rest of our conversation on We Were Announced Instagram TV. Again, that's we.weaar.now. And give the page a follow while you're at it. Black in Fashion is written and produced by me. Edited by Joelle North. The theme music is from PBTM Production Music Library, and background music for our profile episodes comes from Lakey Inspired. The title is Better Days. Please like, subscribe, review, and rate Black and Fashion 5 stars on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Lastly, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at BLKNFSHN. Again, That's at B-L-K-N-F-S-H-N, just like the logo. Thanks for listening.